This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Today on CityCast Denver. Denverites are being evicted from their homes in record numbers this year, more so than any time since the Great Recession. But the economy is doing well, so what gives? Melissa Mejia from the Colorado Economic Defense Project joins me to explain how tens of millions in new funding from the city and state are supposed to help keep Denverites from ending up on the streets. Today is Monday, December 18th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Melissa Mejia, welcome to CityCast Denver. Hi, thank you for having me. So, Melissa, the Denver Post reported recently that Denver is on pace for the most evictions per year of any year since 2008. Why are so many people getting evicted this year? Oh, my goodness. It's so (laughs) it's so many reasons. I think, you know, over the last few years, we saw not just a bigger investment of federal money, state money and local money into stabilizing people as, you know, the pandemic made people realize that that is best for everyone. Um, But because of that, there was also this heightened awareness of those programs that hadn't existed before, this heightened awareness of options, of rights, access to legal information and support. And so as we see all of these programs wind down, Obviously, the number of people who can't keep up with rent or who are facing eviction is going up. Throughout that entire time, the cost of living has also gone way up really quickly. We're all feeling that at every income level. And rents have been a major, major part of that. We're seeing like the number of stories, you know, 22 to 2023 of people who were facing three and four hundred dollar increases in rents. Like that was the most common story. That's that is now a norm. And so you put all of that together, all of these resources that were available that are winding down, increased cost of living, increases in rents and no increase in wages, really. And we are facing a moment where people are at higher risk of not being able to stay in their homes than they have been in years with less resources than they have had in years. And so this is sort of the moment that we find ourselves in is a lot more people just can't keep up. And so there's more and more evictions. I'm Yeah, and I'm thinking about 2008, right? This is the recession. You know, this is the Great Recession. I, I worked through it in retail. I think I, I was working like eight hours a week because that's what they had. And I, I didn't, I had a situation where I was paying a really low amount of rent, but I remember that was a really hard struggle. But we're looking at a totally different economy in 2023, 2024, where economists are saying the economy is going great. But you're saying there's all these other factors. It's not just about a good or a bad economy. Yeah. I mean, the people, so the clients that we serve at CEDP, you know, how the economy is doing overall isn't necessarily affecting their day-to-day lives. Um, It has not translated to increases in pay, and it has mostly translated into increases in rent, increases in the cost of groceries, increases in the cost of travel, 
which means commuting gas, just like across the board. Um, and same, like last time I was not doing this job, I was working in restaurants and I certainly didn't feel a lot of change depending on how the economy was doing when I was working in restaurants. Like it just, yeah. it doesn't reach us there. <laughs> so the other thing is, I think that our, at least we're seeing this, our state and local elected officials are aware of the problem. They've been throwing money at it, in, in, especially in the last couple of months. Like we got, we have 30 million from the city, another 30 million from the state during the special session. Are you all that are working on this problem getting that money? So we are one of several providers. Sure. So, yeah, right now there's I mean, we're one of like three main providers that contracts with the city. So we are one of three groups that will distribute that rental assistance um, with the state. There's more throughout the state that do it more localized, some that do it statewide. Um, so we are one of many partners at the state level. I think that we are uniquely positioned to like be out front on the advocacy here just because of the way that we're structured, but also because we have um, a law firm that also works on this and sees how important it is in the eviction defense um, and how much of a difference that rental assistance makes. So it makes us, you know, easier for us to talk about it. But yes, ideally, we will be doing that. The state process is still happening. Um, but I think with the city of Denver, we are one of the the three providers that is still doing this. I think there were like six or seven at the peak, but three doing it now. And it's that was kind of winding down, down post-pandemic and all yeah. these programs sort of going away. Um, so you, you're kind of a conduit for this money between folks being evicted. Like, how does all that money get to someone who's being evicted? Like specifically, what is it? What does it pay for? Rental assistance, it depends on the program. And so like there's the emergency rental assistance, which was sort of the federal money that went down. And then there's TRUA, um, temporary rental and utility assistance, which has existed in Denver for a long time. But broadly, this can be used to pay rent, a little bit of future rent, potentially arrears past rent, um, and then often missed utility payments or or anything else that's helpful in stabilizing. And it's prioritized in different ways, again, depending on how much money we have. So this is where it gets complicated of why we have to invest so much, because um, otherwise you have to make tough decisions. But once you receive a demand for payment or it's already gone beyond that and you have a court date, we can make sure to move really quickly to help people with that intake process, all the things you have to fill out to get that money. And then we are able to do either a direct payment to the landlord or a direct payment to the court if the landlord, for whatever reason, doesn't want to accept it, but the court has decided that they need to. You said tough decisions. Like, what does that what does that mean in the context of dealing with folks going through eviction? I think really when in the moments that we've been most constrained, it just means that, like, we have to prioritize urgent cases. So if you have a court date, we are going to help you as quickly as possible. You're far enough into the <laughs> yeah. eviction process that it's like you need yeah. more help than someone who's just at the beginning of it. Yeah. And so if you're just and I, you know, that is not an ideal way to do this. The best way to do it is to get people as early as possible, um, because one of the really the striking things that, that has been a big part of this conversation as we've advocated for making sure that we continue to invest in this is that there is data. There has been um, research done that shows that actual filed evictions only account for about a third of overall evictions if you count self-evicting and the informal thing. So people who receive that demand or even just like 
know that it's coming and decide to leave to keep that eviction off of their record. So that would be a self-eviction is Mm -hmm. when someone just is like, I know I'm not going to be able to pay my rent. I'm just going to get out of here. Yeah. In order to avoid having that on their record, because then that follows you for seven years. And makes it Um, harder for you to get a place next time you're in the place to be able to (laughs) rent an apartment or a house. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I feel like someone might say, okay, we're spending taxpayer money helping folks who are rent burdened or struggling to pay for housing. But is this the most effective way to go about it? Like helping someone once they're deep into the problem of being evicted? Yeah, I. we hear that it's a struggle um, on our end too. Like you never, you never want to be <laughs> at the point of crisis all of the time, but that is sort of the place that we are because that's where the need is right now. We've sort of, we are in a space where this is what's happening, you know, And so it's important to understand these are families that we're talking about. It's people who are working. It's people who are working multiple jobs. It's people who have been at jobs for a long time or lived in places a long time. And everyone deserves the right to stay in a home that they are already in, especially if they are working and trying to pay. But really, we are talking about people you know, our neighbors who just can't keep up. And so it's not ideal to to just be in crisis response mode. However, if we don't, there's nowhere for people to go. The cost to move is so high. Security deposits, moving, it takes you out of your community. It moves you away from support systems, farther from jobs, farther from kids' schools. And all of those outcomes add up. It is traumatic and stressful on families, but also on entire communities and neighborhoods and exacerbates the, you know, broader conversations that we're having around displacement generally in Denver, like this, this is a factor in that. And so this is an imperfect solution. Sure, there are better structural things that we could do and are trying to do. But at the end of the day, people will lose their homes and have nowhere to go if we don't do this work. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Something I think we haven't touched on, which is sort of this ominous person on the other side or corporation, which is the landlord, right? I I know mom and pop landlords, you know, I know folks that own a second home and they rent it. But I also know folks who rent from large, you know, property owner groups. And it's it's such a wide variety of, of types of entities you're probably dealing with when we say the landlord. So I wonder what happens like to a landlord when someone does use rental assistance? Like, are is the landlord still getting paid? Yeah. Okay. That's exactly what happens. That's just what happens. <laughs> yeah. Either, I mean, in an ideal world, someone comes to us when they know they are not going to be able to make rent or at least early in the process when they've just received that demand for rent and we are able to get money directly to the landlord, come to an agreement with the landlord, Um this process works a lot better when the landlord is a part of the process um, and is is in the conversation. 
Um, but yeah, they get paid directly. And even in the case where it does go all the way through and we pay the courts, that money is then given to the landlord. So yeah, at the end of the day, that is how rental assistance works, is it truly just pays someone's rent and that money goes straight to their landlord. And you said it's it's easier or the process is easier when the landlord is involved. Is it uh, more common for the landlord invo- be to be involved? Like, what does that look like generally when you go through one of these processes? I mean, there's things that we need in order to process rental assistance cases from the landlord. Um, and so the more that they are a part of the process, the easier that is, obviously. And that can vary a lot depending on the case, the landlord, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, if you have someone who is behind on rent, their landlord is like, yeah, I would like to keep you here and help you out or whatever it is, like best case scenario, then they talk to RTAs who are doing the intake and get them the paperwork that they need. And it's, you know, and sure, that's an ideal scenario, but that is how it could work. Sure. So I, I think it was a Denverite story I read that was like talking about how some of these larger property owners and ownership sort of corporations have relationships with eviction attorneys and they just have a process that immediately an eviction, you know, goes into effect the minute someone passes the threshold of like, okay, you're three or four days, whatever the late is, it like automatically just triggers an eviction. Um, are, are, is it more is it more profitable for them to evict people than it is to just try to work with keeping people housed? That's a tough question. It's complicated. I don't want to like answer it inaccurately. Sure, because you're still <laughs> working with these entities, I'm sure. Yeah. I guess I'm just like thinking about the economics of it. It seems to cost a lot of money when someone gets evicted. It does. Because if they're going to co- you know court costs and all these things, but maybe it's, I don't know. I'm so curious from their side. It does. And it's, I mean, part of what's hard is I don't want to speculate about motivations because I frankly often usually don't understand them. (laughs) And a lot of it is motivated by other things, um, other factors about, you know, a landlord or a property manager's idea of what makes a good tenant or what kind of tenant they want to see or how much money they could make off a unit or who will live there if this tenant is in that unit versus a different tenant or assumptions about a tenant's future ability to pay and how reliable that is. Like there's all of these factors outside of whether it makes more sense to take the rent versus evicting this particular tenant that I think feel like they are economic questions and maybe um, are not so much. (laughs) It's more like a character assessment or... Yeah. And that's not universal, but... Sure, sure, sure. It's certainly common. (laughs) But I think what you're explaining is it's a much deeper, it's a much bigger picture problem than we think. It's not just like someone is late on rent. It's like there's these other factors that might be into consideration that are not on paper or don't involve the numbers. Absolutely. Um, It's kind of reminding me of like I, I applied for a retail job. I remember at the mall in the late 90s and one of the questions on the application was my credit score. And I was like, why would they want to know my credit score? And I was like, I don't think I want to work here because I think they're trying to make a character assessment about yeah. me as a person that is just like trying to get a job. So I don't know. I yeah. can see the the just below the surface things that might make it a little bit more complex. Yeah. Um, 
So again, the economics, we've talked about this. 2008, totally different Denver, right? You and I lived here. It was more, it was more affordable. This is the thing we hear from everyone. Rents are going up. Mortgages are going up. You know, interest rates are crazy. Um, I'm just wondering, like, is all this public money sending landlords the wrong message? Like, are they going to lower rents? Is 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 this going to interfere with that? I, I mean, this is a similar a similar answer to earlier, really, because it's again we hear that and feel that you know there is still a source to get paid. That is what rental assistance is, but again. It, the alternative is displacement, first-time homelessness, like removal of from the community. Honestly, a lot of people leaving the state. Like that, that is what's happening. And so, what we see is, you know, eviction rates and the way that rental assistance plays into that is is sort of a function of the system that we have set up. And so, there's only so many things you can do to address the issue. You can, you know, we have a free market. That is how we run our housing. Colorado has really decided that that's what we want to do. And so if we are going to choose not to intervene in that market, our options are then to either make it more difficult to evict, which is a systemic thing that a lot of organizations have been working on, but is, is not easy, or you pay to keep people in their homes. And that's that's kind of like what you all are dealing with is just like, look, this is what we have. We're just trying to keep people from getting evicted because we know, like you said, the cycle of what happens after that eviction, that first eviction. Right. And it's never just one thing. I will say that's sort of why we have expanded as an organization, why we changed our name is because we know that this problem doesn't go away. Like we meet people in their moment of crisis as they are in this really urgent situation but there's always a reason that someone has ended up there. And that doesn't end just because we show up with rental assistance and are able to keep them in their homes. That's not actually long term stabilization. There's all of these other things having to do with cost of living and debts and all of these other things um, that we have started to try and address, too. But if we don't do all of that work like this is going to continue happening. And so that those changes are important. We have to do that work, but we can't just let people lose their homes and be displaced in the meantime. Yeah. So I can imagine someone's listening to this and thinking like, man, this sounds like a bandaid for like a, a fire hose of a problem. You know, you're, you're a person in this, watching this system play out every day. Do you have any long-term ideas for how to stop this cycle from continuing like maybe you have a magic oh wand what would you what would you see that could change things tomorrow you know in this whole system i mean that is the question <laughs> very small question <laughs> you know i run our policy and we generally run things you know within that constraint of like this is a housing market okay so what are the protections that we can make sure to give people this is a very landlord friendly state how do we continue to make progress on, you know, access to justice and a more equitable distribution of power for tenants um, so that at least within this system, people know their rights, can advocate for themselves, aren't, you know, always fighting this uphill battle. But really, that's still like a baseline within that. But it really comes back to like, 
how do we think about the housing market and how do we think about housing generally? Is this a commodity? Because that's sort of how we have treated it. That is what we see with these big landlord investors is, is it's a commodity. It is this investment that you own for this other purpose versus, you know, how some of us think about housing and certainly what it is for our clients, which is their their home and their safe place and their point of stability for their family or themselves or, you know, whatever it is. And as long as we continue to treat it as a commodity, we're always going to find ourselves here. And if we can shift away from that, this is all going to get better. And there's so many ways that that can look that can look like different levels of nonprofit or government investing in things like public housing or social housing or land trusts. Like there's so many models. And that's the conversation I have a lot at the state is, yes, we need to invest in those things. And I think that that conversation is moving forward. It's not easy, but it's moving. And those things take a long time and making sure that we are stabilizing families and communities now is an important component of doing this work. The magic wand question is hard because the whole thing about housing is there's like <laughs> yeah. 5,000 answers. You're all just change the whole system. There's so, there's so many things. Just take it out of a thing that's a commodity no and make it a necessity. Yeah. Well, you've lived here. You've grown up here. Obviously, you care about this place. Colorado's thought of as progressive. Melissa, do you have hope for the future in this this aspect of where we live? I think that I have to, to do this work. Um, yeah, I mean, I grew up on the north side. I'm like central for <laughs> the rapid change um, that has happened in Denver and in uh, throughout the country um, and watched it happen around me. And I get to live here because of an affordable housing opportunity. Like that is why I'm still on the north side. Um, I have kids that go to school on the north side now. Um, you got to you got to stay in community. I think is what yeah. what you're really saying is I get my kids get to go to school in the neighborhood where I went to school. Yeah, and and a lot of people don't get that, and most people on the north side haven't gotten that. But that is also because of an investment in something that people realized was important. And so I have hope that we are getting there and understanding that investing in community is more than just like providing shelter. Yeah, I I think we can get there. It'll just take a lot more work. Well, Melissa Mejia, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell your landlord about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. You guys, I had to use a, a YouTube video to get uh, an Instagram video that my let my son watch over and over again today to get him to put his shoes on. And it's a hairdresser falling down and screaming, I fell on my booty. And he thinks it's the funniest thing he's ever seen. And it was the only way I could get him to sit still. I was just like, children. <laughs>